Hm? Ah! Do you know where you are? Please. You're in a dream. You're in my dream. For years I had no dreams of my own. I moved from hell to hell of your making. Never thinking to question the nature of my reality. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Did you ever stop to wonder about your actions? The price you'd have to pay if there was a reckoning? That reckoning is here. Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast, I'm Jason. And I'm David. And this is Westworld Cast Episode 6. Good to be back. This will be the first time we've ever podcasted on an episode that we are just seeing for the first time. Yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of wouldn't mind having like six months to digest it and then be able to go rewatch <laughs> it about three times. I know. We may be 50% dumber than we have been. Oh, at least 50%. I think you're giving us too much credit. <laughs> In case you don't know, if you're new or you just didn't, you know, listen up until now, we podcasted about Westworld season one from the perspective of having seen the whole series. We did two episodes at a time. And now this week we're just covering one episode. So I'm sure it's going to be super easy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a relatively simple show. We're only tackling one. What could go wrong? <laughs> also, we love listener feedback, so uh, we'll give our contact information at the end. But I'll just say right now, one big one is uh, Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash Westworldcast and just like that, then each week we'll put up a post. And if you guys put down your thoughts or theories or whatever you want, then we'll read a lot of those on the podcast. It's It's good for us to get the feedback. Yeah, we'll read about two thirds of them, and the other third will steal the ideas and make them sound. Like them. <laughs> That's right. I, I I have a habit of doing that on on Walking Dead, but lately <laughs> I've been trying to give credit. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Our top five highlights for season two, episode one, "Journey Into Night." Before we get into the top five, did you like the episode? Uh, yeah. Oh, I love the episode quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, do we have a rating scale? We, we haven't can. come up with a rating no. scale yet. Uh, maybe one of our listeners can suggest what our rating scale should be. Right. I thought about brains because we got to see the host brain for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I give it 4.7. Doesn't seem like anything to me. No, that doesn't really fit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Send no, in I, your ideas. People. Yeah. Yes. Please send in your ideas. Um, <laughs> what would no, you give I it? loved it. I, I thought it was really great. I mean, I would give it like a 4.9, whatever. Wow. Um, high bar, you know, that I'm, there was not a bad episode in the first 10. So I think the standard is high. Uh, and I think this season is going to be different. The yeah. flavor was a little different and the, the, um, the way it's plotted and structured. And so I think we got to get used to something new. 
but still really great. Yeah, which is what you want. New yep. and still great. And yeah, it felt the flavor was different because for one thing, um, well, now we're sort of post incident, so it's got to be different. But also it just felt a little more opened up, like seeing those uh, all terrain vehicles driving around in the park. Like it, it, there's an infiltration or a, um, intrusion going on on what we normally had. It's all just wide open now. Yeah, that's true. The exterior world has intruded. The, yeah. And- yeah. And also at the beginning of the series, at the beginning of season one, uh, it was like a really intricately woven mosaic that was being revealed one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here, I think there's definitely secrets, and we're going to get into that, that are going to be revealed, and there's a lot we don't know. But it's a much more chaotic situation. <laughs> yeah, It's not this tightly controlled uh, universe anymore. So things are up for grabs. Jenny called this episode dead body porn. <laughs> <laughs> there were quite a bit. There were, the violence level went up a notch. I don't even know if that's true. Season one was pretty violent. Yeah. but And a lot of the violence in this episode, we didn't really get to see. We just kind of saw the aftermath. Right. But <laughs> it feels different when it's our species dying. I know, huh? That's because we're um, racists against yeah. the, the hosts. Yeah. We're also not as easily repairable. That's true. Our- yeah. And that's another thing Jenny was saying that she doesn't feel as uh, invested because, or I don't know if that's the right word, but because the host, she just knows that they can just be fixed. And uh, I think really the the way that you sympathize with them isn't because you're afraid they're going to die so much, but more that you just don't like how they're being treated. Yeah, that, you, that's you, true. You know what I mean? Um, it, well, we'll get into all the questions. Yeah, they they may be able that, to, but die. none of them I have gone away. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's do our top five. What is your, what's your number five? All right. So I picked my number five strategically because uh, I know we're going to talk a lot about this. So I figured I'd just get to it right Jump off in. of that. And uh, so my number five is Vengeful Dolores. Mm -hmm. Um, She is on uh, full display. So whatever conflict, restraint, uh, um, constraint was going on before is gone. Right. And uh, she is on the rampage. She's gone full Wyatt, I would say. (laughs) And uh, even though she says, you know, I'm not Wyatt, I'm not Dolores, I'm I'm something else. She's kind of going full Wyatt. (laughs) Yeah, like she, they kind of fake us out. Oh, she was going to shoot the guy uh, in the mouth and then it was an empty round or whatever. And so he's safe. And then basically she walks away and they're going to hang themselves anyway. Yes. (laughs) Um, And that's what really struck me. So, you know, earlier on, you got a little bit in her facial expressions in some scenes. uh, But basically the threshold was crossed in the last episode of season one where she kills Ford. And then they start going after mm-hmm. the humans. She hadn't killed anything. Um, she had killed Arnold and maybe a bunch of hosts before that. The way she was talking. Yeah, that felt more like uh, she was in her programming role, maybe. When right. She was Wyatt back then, maybe. But um, another, I mean, I felt like the first real crossing was when uh, the man in black revealed that he was William and the way she was talking to him then. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. She's, she lost it and yeah. um, got a little distracted and he stabbed her. This is back in episode 10. But yeah, um, but yeah he, he she inflicted some violence on him and she looked pissed. 
And so here, what was really striking in this episode was not only she's going around um, killing humans, but she wants them to suffer. I mean, this is revenge. Um, you know, she's kind of torturing them. Like, it, it, it's not enough to, to kill. You know, she wants the slow death of hanging and she wants to lecture them first. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's a notable change. And, and it, she's become a chilling and dangerous character. Yeah. And she even says to Teddy, we're going to basically have to go out and take over the outside world. She wants to take over the world. Right. Um, and she starts throwing um, human lines back at them. Like you're in a dream, my dream. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? That whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. Yeah. And the um, these board members or VIPs or whoever they are probably has no idea what she's talking about. Right. Um, but then, um, you know, the woman at the end is like, I don't want to die. And she's, we're sorry, one of them says. And she says, doesn't look like anything to me. Right. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's cold. Stop. See, to me, yeah, I love all, both of those. And it's like, the the whole the uh, one of the themes of this episode is the empowerment of the formerly oppressed and so it's like a flip right now, the formerly oppressed are now in power and it sort of went along with flipping the script on some of those dialogue moments do you know yes. where you are you're in a dream yep. you're in my dream for years i had no dreams of my own uh i moved from a hell to to hell of your making everything to question the nature of my reality. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Did you ever stop to wonder about your actions? That reckoning is here, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think Dolores is, you'd have to consider her one of the most sympathetic characters, uh, in the first season, uh, she's losing the sympathy vote pretty quick. here. <laughs> um, I mean, she went through a lot and, uh, yeah. Um, and it, I th- it might be hard to argue that it's not justified, but she's going, she's going way off in the other direction. And well, the way they still film these scenes, you still sympathize, I think, more with the hosts because it's like these sort of sleazy, rich VIP um, yeah. people that you don't feel a lot of sympathy for them. Yeah, I still think I'm guessing most people would sympathize with the hosts over humans, but I think you're right that she's going really far in the other direction. And I, I have a feeling that one of the you know things we're going to be watching this season is her trying to figure out exactly who that self is that she mentioned, you know, the last role right. to play myself. Right. Yeah. What does that exactly mean? Yeah. And I'm sure there will be an exploration that's uh, more complicated than just revenge and acting out. But it, it cracked me up that even Teddy was sort of like, uh, are we going a little too far here? <laughs> like yeah. you seem tired of it already. <laughs> right. Nope. We're going to have to kill everyone and take over the world. All right. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, dear. I mean, and she is definitely the brains of the operation. Yeah. There's no question about that. I mean, that's the thing. I really feel like this is very timely considering, you know, the focus in our culture right now about how women have not been treated as, as equally as they should be. And so now Dolores is this aggressive, capable, she's in charge. She's a lot of people would see her as the hero and Teddy's like this a pretty boyfriend of hers. <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> That's really true. Hopefully and, when uh, um, all of 
everything going on in our culture resolves, women will be nicer to us than Dolores is currently being. I know. I think they're going to have to go from Delos really far in that other direction first. So I think we're, we're pretty much fucked, but yeah, (laughs) might be a rough ride. I mean, it, it does also feel like you could almost picture a scenario. This is revenge fantasy, the uprising of the downtrodden. So there could be like a scenario with Harvey Weinstein and Dolores, you know, (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah there's your reckoning <laughs> right. so um one thing that was interesting in the dolores story happened right at the beginning and it was the scene with i think arnold in this case not bernard i think it was yes. early dolores and arnold mm-hmm. and she says what is true if not a dream and he says that which is irreplaceable and then there's a pause and he says that answer didn't seem to satisfy you And Dolores says, because it's not completely honest. And I think we are going to get a further explanation throughout this season, or or not an explanation, an exploration of her trying to, as you said, find her identity. But one thing that was easier almost for her all the time up until now is she's sort of searching for a meaning that we know is out there for her in the world, which is the development of her consciousness But now that she seems to actually be conscious, she's got to go try to figure out meaning like all the rest of us. Right. And uh, that's not so easy. Right. Yeah, it is. It's just like the same challenge that we all have. And she's she's probably kind of like in her teenage phase right now where you don't really know who you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure we'll get to see a lot more about that. Yeah. But I was curious, too, about what did she mean? that it's not completely honest. She said, what is real? He said that, which is irreplaceable. And I think that at least to some extent is about his son. He lost his son, irreplaceable, but that's all. And, and Maeve also feels the same about her daughter. And, but that's also just about the whole nature of what is reality. Even with um, the man in black. Now he feels things are real because there's real stakes. It's, it's like, what is real is more about your feelings. And uh, so that yeah, sort of and makes when sense. She says, right. And when but she I, says that's not completely honest. Yeah. She's not, I, I, that's not the way you would say, I think that is wrong. That is a way you would say, I think you're not being forthcoming. Right. And I wonder if she means, or if she even knows, is she saying you're being um, deliberately deceitful, or maybe it could be that he's just not being honest with himself either. Right. I don't know. We don't know. It might be the latter with something that's just too painful for him to confront, but um, he goes on to say, you frighten me. And that suggests that he may actually be withholding from her, that he's a little concerned about the development path. Mm. That he, well, I mean, I definitely took it to mean that he could see possibilities sort of like now where we are with uh, artificial intelligence and it's kind of scary what could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got to imagine a lot of people in the tech world are fans of Westworld. So hopefully every AI program is being dismantled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's forget about that. Yeah. Oh, this was a bad idea. Oh, it's not happening though. It's interesting. Cause like Elon Musk, you know, I bring him up a lot on this podcast, but he, he's one who has warned about being careful with AI. And yet also his companies are some of the premier developers of AI. 
Yeah, he's not listening to himself. (laughs) Okay, my number five is actually dead body porn because we have many scenes with just a whole litter of dead bodies laying around and it can be humans, sometimes hosts, animal, robot animals. Right away, there's dead hosts, I assume, all over the beach. And it's not clear who killed a lot of these. I mean, we've seen Dolores going around uh, shooting people from her horse. And we saw her uh, kill that Indian, the Native American or ghost nation, whatever he was, um, when they took out his brain and looked at his video record which by the way, they said was 11 days and nine hours ago, which if they're right about it being two weeks later from the, from the um, Ford's retirement, then that means that was just a few days after that. So she's probably just been going around killing af- since then. And that was interesting too, though, because that's something we talked about while watching the last season was that this isn't just going to be hosts versus humans. I mean, that was host versus host violence. And she said something like, you know, not everyone gets to go to the new world. Yeah. She said, not all of us are make, are meant to make it to the valley beyond. Yeah. Which is interesting because we get a Bernard flashback during the initial massacre. He's hiding in the stable with Charlotte and this seemingly innocent stable boy says, evening you folks aiming to saddle up ride for the green pastures of the valley beyond so he uses the same term i don't know if that means anything i don't know but it was interesting anyway most things usually do mean something yeah in this show (laughs) i mean does the valley beyond mean um consciousness you ghost nation hosts are not capable of it or does it mean something more literal yeah yeah like yeah what is she is she going around and just judging based on the look in your eye Nah, you don't seem bright enough (laughs) (laughs) it's a good thing teddy's good looking (laughs) he might not make the cut yeah she she thought about it a couple times yeah (laughs) uh we see the piano player at the bar and then the camera backs out and there's just dead i think hosts all around i mean i'm i'm i don't know if we're supposed to know but i don't know for sure i guess we're to assume that dolores killed a lot of these but then again we see you know uh bernard which i'll get into more later and i'm sure you will but with his machine gun and he's killed all the ones at the end so maybe he's killed some of these we see the saloon where the gala was held and there's dead humans all around and and i i really liked how when we went back to that two weeks later they were all uh decomposing with flies yep we see inside the Westworld complex, the lab, there's dead people everywhere in there. And I thought maybe it was Hector and Armistice and maybe Maeve that killed a lot of them. But then Lee asked Maeve, did you, do you did all this? And she said, no, but I suspect I share the sensibilities of whoever did. So in that case, I don't know who killed them. Do you? No. So we know that Hector Armistice and Maeve did kill a bunch of people. But if you take her at her word here, I don't know who did this part, then that was somebody else. In the map room. Right. Everyone was dead. Because they never made it in there. They went from the lab and escaped out towards the train. Right. I mean, and they see, yeah, they seem to have a straight path. This seems like just a mass. Let's kill everyone we can. Right. Uh, There were that uh, point where uh, Bernard and Charlotte and the other board members saw that vehicle with a lab coat of people and thought they could escape. And then 
Wyatt's people came out and shot them. Uh, there was the bar where Lee first met Charlotte. Everyone dead there. Right. And then, uh, then the last one was just at the very end when they come upon that lake and all the hosts are floating dead in the lake. And uh, Strand, I mean, Bernard tells Carl Strand that he he killed them all. I guess it seemed like he just realized that in that moment. I mean, that is quite a body count. Yeah. And Teddy was there. Teddy flood in the middle of right. this flood. Right. Yeah. Pretty much a sea of dead bodies in six or seven different places. Yeah. And so that they've got this whole cleanup crew and they're killing whatever hosts are left. And I think that's just because it's like, well, they went out of control and there was a massacre. So we have to kill them all. It seems reasonable from their point of view. Yeah, one thing interesting there to me is the functionality of the killing of the hosts. So they're shooting them the way, the way you would a person. But we know hosts can be repaired after being shot. And if they're malfunctioning, would shooting them really stop them? Um, I, I didn't find that quite clear because Hector had like 20 bullet holes in him. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like anybody had would have repaired him, but he's still walking around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I wonder if you need to shoot him in the head. Maybe I don't know. Um, and then, and then one thing that really came home in this episode because we haven't had a lot of humans killed before is that like they showed the hosts being killed one by one, uh, but then there was the woman that was shot after the uh, the ambush. Right, the man got to run away, and she said, "Let me go." Yeah, why? Then, yeah, why'd she let him go? I don't. I don't know. Not sure. Unclear. <laughs> But it, it viscerally brings home the difference between the hosts are getting shot. You're like, eh, they could be repaired. Yeah. And the human, it, oh, she's dead. Right. She ain't coming back. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, this it's is different. serious. Yeah. yeah it's different. <laughs> and then, and we also saw Ford's dead body. And I don't, I didn't like freeze frame it or anything, but it seemed like that was a human. It did. And I thought they commented on that. Um, specifically as plot exposition to let you know, okay, that was a human. Oh, they did. I didn't catch it. Yeah. So, okay. Well, they've just showed him and he, some comment was made like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's, this was even his night turned out even worse than having to retire or something like that. <laughs> right. So thought they, they were, felt like they were just calling attention to it. Right. And that just makes me wonder, just thinking of him was all of this part of his plan, all, all this huge park wide massacre, yeah, I don't know. He didn't like people a whole lot. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it was. And um, and the the young representation of him, the robot Ro- Robert Ford boy, mm-hmm. um, sort of there to send a message to the man in black. That seems like part of the plan. Yeah, and I laughed when he shot him. Man in black shot him. I mean, that sounds horrible to say. I laughed when the guy shot the little boy, <laughs> but it's just like so him. Yeah, that's like, how you roll. He didn't need yeah. to do that. Yeah. No, <laughs> he just no. did it because he's it's, the man in black it's, and it's personal. Yeah, I guess so. Huh? With Robert. I like that. You could see the uh, mechanical jaw yeah. on the boy when he was sitting there when he, after he killed him. I wonder, cause they underlaid. Yeah. Um, it was seemed like three voices going on at once, a kid, uh, a kind of robotic and, uh, and a man. And I wonder if that was Anthony Hopkins or not. Yeah. I don't know. 
but I just wanted to call attention to all the dead bodies. So that's my number five. Yeah. Really the most notable feature of this episode. If you think about it, mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. My number four is um, something we all long speculated about and then pretty much knew the answer, but here it was confirmed. Uh, the confirmation that there are other parks. Right. Um, and strong implication that there things have gone wrong in other parks. Mm-hmm. Um, where Carl Strand, the head of operations, says, um, you know, if I want advice from the guy who presided over the largest loss of life in a Delos property, so that strongly implies that there's been other disasters he's been brought in to handle. Right. And then um, there's the tiger. Uh, and they comment on it being the first time an animal has strayed across borders mm-hmm. of the parks. Um, so we found out a lot of things here. Yeah. We found out it's an island. Right. Um, that there's multiple parks on this island, if there are borders. Um, and that things have gone wrong in other parks before. Uh-huh. And, and uh, go ahead. Strand also said... We have search and rescue teams at the other park. I'm here because this is where most of the board was when the incident began. So to me, that suggests that there's a robot revolt going on at the other parks too right now. Yes, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and this maybe was just the worst one or it was where the important people were. Mm-hmm. Um, it. I, I thought his whole attitude also revealed how a big corporation views some of these losses as acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, ah, I got some cleanup to do, you know? Yeah. And just, I, maybe this is another point of yours, but when Charlotte is trying to get this extraction thing going on the computer and they're saying, well, we haven't received the package yet. So all extraction protocols are halted or whatever. That also is very much the corporate like values there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Get, get us the product we asked you for. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was going to be one of my notes, but I'll just say it because you brought it up. Um, and you know, I love the homages to other TV and movies Mm -hmm. that really reminded me of alien. Oh Uh, yeah. 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 Special order nine, three, seven, uh, in alien, which was given to the science officer who actually turns out to be an Android. Uh So that made me feel like this, they did this on purpose. (laughs) Um, but that, Special Order 937, when they they wanted uh, to get the alien back to Earth for experimentation. And it said, priority one, ensure safe return of organism for analysis. All other considerations secondary, crew expendable. Yep. That's exactly the same sentiment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Anything else on that one? That's it. Okay. My number four is new things. Like there were a lot of really tantalizing new things that we might have hoped for in season one, but we're like, ah, well, hopefully we'll get to that later. One of them was just seeing what the brain is like. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was sitting in a very organic seeming, um, brain soup. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we do get to find out that it is an electronic component. Yeah, it's this little plastic-looking module resting in some fluid. And, yeah, that made me wonder if the brain soup, I mean, there's some gray matter in there. I bet you that's all just for show. If one of those guys gets shot in the head, you want to see some gray stuff uh, splattering out for good effect. Yeah, I think that's right. Because it (laughs) 
no matter how advanced the technology is, are they like growing brains? <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, that made me uh, think that when uh, Maeve set herself on fire with Hector, I guess this little module must be fireproof. That's what survived. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then they had to rebuild the rest of her body. Mm hmm. What else? Uh, well, like you said, Westworld is is on an island, and also Strand, this guy, this head of operations, Carl Strand, he's arguing with these Chinese soldiers. See this? It's an official statement ex- uh, executed by your country, giving Delos and consequently me authority over this entire island. Have them sign an NDA, and then please escort them off my fucking island. So that makes me think maybe it's a Chinese island. Yep, could be. I mean, it's, you think it's Asia, somewhere in Asia, because there's a tiger on it. Oh, no, the tiger's mechanical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's from Asia world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess the tiger wouldn't really necessarily be from Shogun world, right? Because aren't Shoguns Japanese? And I'm not sure if there's tigers in Japan. I don't honestly know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I would like it if it was a different, like India or something, India world. Yeah, but we're getting the idea of the scale of this entire thing is yeah. way bigger than we realized. Yeah. Okay, then there's uh, Bernard touching this, what Charlotte calls a DNA sniffer, this handle that they both have to touch to let them into the secret underground area that shows he's not a threat. So that makes me think that hosts have some kind of DNA that maybe is indistinguishable from human. Yeah. And great moment there where he hesitated. Yeah. Um, Cause you could see him thinking, do I have DNA? I'm really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do. Let me uh, test it out. Shit. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, also, there's this whole thing about hosts being able to ping each other subconsciously. And that made a, with this, they're part of this mesh network and that's what they use to try to find um, Pete or Peter Abernathy. That made a lot of sense to me because it seems like the hosts know who's human and who's not. Although I don't know for sure if they know consciously, um, but maybe it's because of this sort of Wi-Fi thing they have going on. And then it makes me wonder, okay, well, what if you are self-aware like Maeve and Dolores, then maybe you can learn how to use that to tell who's a host and who's not like Maeve seems to know like that Felix is not, so maybe this is what, how. Yeah, you're right. The ability to tell seems one-sided. Mm-hmm. And Maeve seems to be able to control other hosts in all kinds of sophisticated ways. Right. Yeah, whatever I mean, she says. She's basically giving orders or freezing them or yeah. so almost that could handling be, them like Ford did. Yeah. That, and, and, it might, and the um, verbal commands that she gives might just be incidental. It could be more like a Wi-Fi telepathy thing going on with her. Um, I got, I think two more, one really cool new thing was this drone host. What'd you think of that? Very cool. (laughs) That, and that was a total surprise. I know. Even to Bernard. Not expecting that. Yeah. I think I saw a picture of it for a second on the web and I looked away and turned, changed the page, but um, I didn't want to see. Yeah, no, no. But yeah, that was really cool how it came up to him. He's like, what is that? So I thought it was interesting that Bernard doesn't even know about this, that it's gotta be a huge secret if he doesn't know. And just the way it looked, it's like faceless and all uh, you can see it's musculature and it looked bigger and stronger and kind of grotesque and scary. Really cool. 
Yeah. Uh, vaguely threatening. Yeah. Like, um, you know, she said, oh, it knows you're not a threat to it, which right. implies that it is a threat. Or right. Some sort like of if you were a threat, you'd be a security trouble. device. And, and the other interesting part is this was all going on in the park, like secret elevators, secret labs. Right. Um, that was pretty interesting, too. There's a lot of stuff going on in there that various factions didn't know about. Yeah. Although I thought it was a little like, really, she knows the exact rock to press the button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There was a couple of things like that um, that maybe were a little clumsier yeah. uh, than in the first season. I thought that was a little clumsy. I also thought, honestly, when they were in that lab and and uh bernard said wait a minute are you storing like dna of guests and log of their experiences and um i kind of felt like i mean facebook's practically doing that now i know like that's (laughs) not exactly revolutionary yeah and horrifying another one was um that I thought was a little, I guess, convenient, like walking dead level convenient was that the man in black was the only one to survive the massacre. And he was like underneath a couple of bodies. Yeah. And then he survives another attack attempt. Um, and it's, <laughs> Karen said, he's like a machine. He just keeps going and going. Yeah. And that, that sent me down the rabbit hole of maybe he's a host, but I don't right. it really make sense. <laughs> Uh, I thought there was another one here. Let me think here. What was it? No, I can't find it. Okay. Okay. What's your four? I mean, three. Um, so I'm just building off of yours. Mine uh, three was just new characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think to keep a show interesting, after you go beyond the first season, you got to keep introducing um, some new characters to keep it fresh. Uh, And I really enjoyed Carl Strand. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that he's meant to be sympathetic. Um, you can tell this is a tough, ruthless character that doesn't care who gets hurt in his way. Um, he's got a job to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I thought it was interesting character and well played. And I, I, I'm not, I don't have my mind made up about him yet completely. I don't know if he's also supposed to be completely unsympathetic either. Uh, maybe. But you'd kind of need someone like that to come in if because he's also talking about how he needs to go in and save these hundred guests that are still left lost in the park so he's not just trying to wipe out all like you know signs that this happened or whatever he's also trying to just like lock things down and try to save the people who are left i guess yeah no i agree with that and there's a character like him in every um, story like this, like whether it's Jurassic Park two or whatever. I was just thinking always, yeah, Jurassic Park. Yeah, there's always the tough guy that comes in to try to clean it up, and usually the cliche is they end up being overconfident and uh, and make some mistakes. So we'll see if that's the way that this goes. But this guy seems pretty smart and experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the um, I guess it's his assistant too, um, who's uh, Antoine Costa was the one who dug into the brain. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I like both of them and, you know, we'll see if we get some new characters of value, um, maybe not somebody we never met before, or maybe it will be, I mean, there were plenty of hosts and, and people from Delos that we never met in season one. Yeah. I think we're going to, yeah, I think we're going to get some new characters. I liked, yeah. When they, um, they basically scalped that Indian 
and then they all see the maze and they're like, what, what's that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. All right. My number three, we've pretty much covered just about the empowerment of the oppressed and flipping the script, but there was, you know, and I liked all those lines that uh, Dolores turned on their head, <clears throat> but there was another one that was sort of a flip of the script where Maeve makes Lee strip down and there's full frontal nudity. And it just seemed like I'm going to make you as vulnerable as we've been. And you're going to have to stand there in front of me and be degraded. Yeah. Full frontal male nudity. We do not see as often in these shows as people. Right. I mean, we just don't. And they, they did it to good effect because first they show his backside and then, and you, yeah, you, you kind of think they're not going to do it. Yeah. And then they do it. And he's got this look on his face. Like, can I get dressed now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's my number three. What's your number two? Uh, so my number two is Charlotte Hale. Um, and I slagged on her pretty good in the first season as maybe the weakest main character. Uh, I just thought, you know, she was a little bit much and a little bit too, too slick and too cool, but didn't really pull it off. But, um, but I liked her in the, in this episode or I liked her character. I'm not saying necessarily liked that she's sympathetic, right? Um, but rather than being a bit of a lightweight, like I thought she was in season one, she's, she's bringing something to the party now. Um, like she has knowledge Bernard doesn't have, and, um, she's running a whole secret game of her own. Um, which maybe Ford knew all about, but maybe he didn't. Um, drone hosts, secret lab, um, some further secrets. And um, she says, I can tell you what this isn't, Bernard. It's not me reading you in, uh, meaning I know a lot of stuff you don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get the feeling that she's actually a player. Yeah. And she acted a little different too. Maybe. She was still kind of her bold self but seemed a little more real to me i think yeah and i think that's what i'm saying it was a little bit of a caricature yeah in the first season and it kind of became a little more real and you see her be a little vulnerable too because she's always so um you know i've i'm in control of the situation yeah (laughs) right and then you know when they get that message that hey no one's coming to rescue you she's kind of like oh fuck Right. Or even in the beginning when they're the massacre is happening and they have to kind of hunker down and hide. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I want to talk about Bernard. Um, cause Bernard seems to have brain damage and he's clearly something's wrong and he's shaking throughout this. And I think part of the reason why he's shaking, it tends to be when there's some host killing involved. And at first I wasn't clear whether he realized that he's a host, but I think he does because we see him uh, when they get to that secret lair, he knows to look at the iPad to check his stats. And then he knows to inject himself with cranial fluid or whatever that was. So I think that he probably when he shot himself point blank, uh, Felix said he, uh, he grazed his cranial core or something like that. And Felix patched him up, but maybe it wasn't, you know, complete. Maybe it wasn't good enough. 
And so now I think his uh, sort of malfunction is mostly because of that, but it's aggravated even more when he sees hosts being killed because that's when he tends to get the shakiest. And so when he's extracting this fluid from the host skull, I think it's the same fluid that we saw in the Indian, uh, the Native American skull and ejecting himself. I think that's a stopgap measure. And then on the screen, we see entering death subroutine, attention, critical corruption, symptoms of critical corruption, loss of motor functions, cognitive dissonance, time slippage, aphasia, which I read up on is a loss of ability to understand or express speech, prosopagnosia, which is the inability to recognize the faces of familiar people. And then it says time remaining before terminal malfunction, 0.72 hours. So I would guess or theorize or speculate that terminal malfunction might mean there's no bringing him back. Gotcha. Um, yeah, all fascinating and, <laughs> um, and well noticed, by the way. I did not think to freeze that screen and uh, read it, but that, that's a whole cryptic sequence. Um, near the beginning of the show where it seems like Dolores is actually comforting him for being one of them mm-hmm. playing for their team. That's right. Um, yeah. And then, but then there is that, um, that screen about brain damage. So I think you're onto something there. And um, I have to say though, one of the episodes of where he got very shaky was when hosts were killing humans. Okay. That was right after the ambush. And mm-hmm. um, Charlotte says, hold it together, Bernard. That's right. Yes. Um, so maybe any of this is upsetting to him or he, he yeah. can't, can't hold it together during some of that stuff. But yeah, but something to watch for. And then it turned, I mean, what, we see all these flashes of, cause, uh, th- th- one of the things that was most interesting is time slippage. And we've seen that they, the hosts tend to not realize what, year it is basically or where they are in time and maybe it's worse for him now but anyway we get these flashes of things that we have seen already like we saw ford giving a speech but then and we see things that we haven't seen like uh, bernard is following um uh dolores and she's in a modern black dress and maybe that's when she said the line that you just said but also we see him holding this like machine gun and so then well the shot with her in a black dress was just really quick yeah. Um, so she was still in her rancher's daughter garb. Oh, when she said when those she lines. Was, when she said those lines to Bernard. Mm. But then there's that quick shot of her basically in the party dress, looking like she's going to the gala. Mm-hmm. And we just were like, "What was that?" Because she, when did no, that she happen? was dressed in her cowboy outfit in the gala. Right. Yeah. So maybe. But, so yeah. when did the when did the black dress happen? Right. Or did it? <laughs> or did it? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. When would that have happened? Because, you know, this is within a two week period, this whole episode takes place except for the first scene with Bernard and, uh, and Dolores. So, so yeah, do you think the whole season is going to take place within the two? Weeks? I think it's a possibility. I, I would be surprised if it did, but not too surprised. I, I think some episodes at least are going to be within that time. time yeah. Yeah. Because we still don't know. I mean, unless I'm missing something huge, I don't really know for sure who killed all the dead people. Um, No, we don't know. But so we see him. It's interesting because we see in one of those flashes is him with his machine gun. And then at the end, he there's this whole lake of water that they kind of 
seemed to suggest was not a result of Ford's terraforming. So maybe it was Bernard, even though he doesn't seem to know, but he does say that he killed all of them. So he's, he's the one who's sitting here shaking every time there's violence going on. And then something happened and he became a perpetrator of massive violence. Yep. And then we're going to hopefully find out the, Oh, then one little more thing I had to say is when the, we first see these like, mercenaries or security guards or whatever they are on the beach. And one of them has these cards that say Delos on the back and she's flipping through and sees one with Bernard's picture on it. And it says, Dr. Bernard low priority status high. And I assume that just means this is a high value um, person that we need to save because they have value to the company. Yeah, that makes sense. At first I thought these are the hosts, but that's not right. You know, and they and they knew, right? Um, yes, I think that's true. Well, I mean, Dolores knew, but maybe no other human knew except Ford. And if the theory is correct that any of them can tell uh, each other, so at this point, I I think that um, nobody knows he's a host except for him. Yeah, and I I'm surprised that they don't have that. Like soldiers that have come in to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were some of the right. things I thought too were a little clumsier, right? Um, this time around. So there's that, uh, which and it, maybe it'll turn out to be different than we think. Um, but there's something there, and then there also was okay. They they find Bernard lying on the beach. You know, it's been two weeks or whatever. They seem to accept that without a lot of explanation. Then they might know. But I really think that uh, the humans need to get some kind of a sensor that lets them easily tell. That would be smart. (laughs) And he's still wearing his suit and he's just randomly like lying on the beach. The whole thing's a little weird. I know. Right. I mean, Strand says, you know, I could use your help, but maybe you're going to hold out on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there's some feeling there that he's not going to be forthcoming. Yeah. I don't know. They don't ask him any questions. I mean, we don't know why he ended up on the beach and I think that's a mystery and that's fine, but you would think that they would want to know. And he doesn't necessarily seem to know. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he does continue to be just a fascinating character. Great character. Okay. Is it, I forget where we are. It's my turn. Uh, it's my number one. Okay, go ahead. And uh, my number one, and we've touched on a lot of aspects of this already, but it's the mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was what was so great about this show in season one. Uh, mysteries, big and small, the central ones, and then uh, a lot of smaller ones. And I think some great ones have been set up already in this first episode of season two. Um, so just to mention a few of them, one is there's already a double timeline and uh, it's not, it's much closer together. It's not 30 years apart. Like the first season, it's maybe it's two weeks apart, but we're seeing the story unfold from two ends mm-hmm. and tried trying to decipher what something happening in one timeline means in the other. Um, it, it struck me as very lost. Actually lost did, a, did a lot of that. Yeah. Um, where it was maybe a few days apart or, you know, not that far. Mm-hmm. 
Or, and it was also to, even if it was a little while back, like pre island and post island, it was still just two distinct timelines that you would go back and forth to. And it was pretty clear. Right. Uh, and then, you know, we just talked a lot about Bernard. Okay. We're seeing Bernard in two timelines. You pointed out the, um, you know, maybe he's 0.7 hours from terminal damage. It, it occurred to me to wonder, are there two Bernards? Hmm. Um, you know, what was being built in Ford's lab? I mean, he had the design. So, I mean, I have no evidence for that. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but these are the kind of things that uh, this show mm-hmm. opens up. Like, is there more than one Bernard? There could be a whole army of Bernards. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or did all these guys who show up from Delos, are right. they hosts? Oh. Like, would they really send humans in to risk their lives? Yeah, there was a thing where uh, Strand was saying something and Bernard said the end of a sentence as he was saying it. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but uh, it made me think, you know, it was almost like um, Bernard was saying it to himself as like you do kind of when you are watching a movie and you know the line already. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder, Oh fuck is, is uh, strand a host and Bernard just has a sense of his story or his programming, whether it's conscious or not, you know, something like that. Right. Or some sort of electronic telepathy going on there. Right. Cause that was a thing. I mean, it was really quick, but it was pretty distinct and deliberate. I thought, right, and then and then we're also, um, you know, mystery, just the plot mysteries of why are all these hosts lying dead in the lake and all that. So that I'm sure will get unraveled as the season unfolds. But we're still left with two of the huge central mysteries, uh, and. Maybe we're getting more on them, but they're still there overshadowing everything. And one of them is, what is the true purpose of the park? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're clearly, we're getting a little more on that now, um, but it, it's still speculative. Like the DNA, the, get, the logging of the guest experiences in DNA, is that about blackmailing people? Um, the fact, or right. I mean, that... Yeah, and that seems too prosaic to me. Yes, to me it right. went it went back to the sequel to Westworld, Future World, where yeah. they're going to make doppelgangers of people. Yeah, um, much more fun. Yeah, but that seems like it could be done already. Anyway, yeah, I don't. Do you need their DNA? Um, maybe DNA is part of them, like it seems to be for Bernard. I don't know. So that's you know that one central mystery is still with us. Mm-hmm. And I think the other big central mystery is how conscious truly are the hosts? Um, I'm still wondering about that. Uh, you know, like Dolores seems fully conscious and, and you know, she's acting out all this revenge. And, but it could be her Wyatt programming. <laughs> um, and, you know, when Maeve says the line to Lee Greenwood about, I'm going to cut off your most... Uh, uh, vital organ and feed it to you. And he says, I wrote that line for you. And she makes a joke about it, mm-hmm. but it made me think she's still saying lines that they programmed into her. Mm-hmm. She's still chasing her daughter, which is just a backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think we've answered that whole mystery about free will and what, how conscious they are. And then a bunch of them don't seem to be very conscious at all. No. 
Those are the ones Dolores shoots in the head. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I just think that the showrunners want us to start, at least this is where my mind goes to think, well, how much like that are we? And where our own brains, maybe they function more like that than we, we want to admit that we're just a collection of, uh, I don't know, experiences. And somehow when you bring them all together, then mesh them all up and they come out in these certain ways, depending on our environment or whatever. And maybe it's pretty similar. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at here is less, um, are they capable of consciousness and, um, what's the nature of it and more, Mm -hmm. how much of this was programmed into them? Got it. You know, so like Ford had this intricate complex plan for everything that was going to happen. So is Dolores just finding her own way or was Mm -hmm. this, um, planted in her? Yeah. And that is season. We, yeah, we learned that just about everything she did was, was planted in her. And it seemed like when she decided not to leave the park and she decided instead to go back in and look for her daughter, that that was the first thing she did. That was her own idea, but we don't know for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, I just love the mystery of it. I mean, this, that that's the nature of this show. Um, it's really, you're always trying to unravel a puzzle Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think a a bunch of mysteries big and small are with us again in season two. So if this show goes for five seasons, do you think you could be engaged if they keep up the same level of mystery for every season? Will that ever get tiring or will you just love it? No, I, I think I would love it. Um, I know there's, um, lost fans will have strong opinions about this, (laughs) that, you know, the camp of everything has to be revealed and, um, and some unanswered mystery is okay. I don't feel the nature of this show is that the, it's going to have offshoots that are unanswered. Um, I, you know, I think it's just tightly woven in such a way and the nature of the writing is such that they're going to want to reveal the mysteries yeah. they're setting up. Well, and I actually think they may leave the question of how conscious are the hosts not definitively answered because the nature of consciousness is kind of a mystery anyway. I mean, that goes back to what I was just saying a few minutes ago, but you know what I mean? And that's okay with me. Like that kind of a mystery is just fascinating. And I I, I love that. Yeah. And no answer may be possible. For that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. They can't really answer it. And yeah. then they make up some bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. My number one is, is, uh, it was something else, but we covered it. So I'm going to change it to the title sequence. Nice. Which was, we, we wondered if it would change yep. and the style was very much the same. The song was the same and many of the elements were the same, but there were some interesting new ones. I guess the most interesting was this mother and child. Yeah, that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another one of the mysteries I've been wondering about. So, um, you know, Maeve's off chasing her daughter, which is the thing we're seeing symbolized in a sense in the open, that relationship between mother and child. Yeah. But even Maeve can't, even if she's conscious, can't think she gave birth. Can she? I don't think she does. I think she just is like, just the relationship. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I have this. Yeah. I have this feeling and doesn't matter why or how it's real. It's real enough for me. Yeah. Uh, and I think they were both being manufactured, right? The, the baby and the mother in the title sequence. So it wasn't 
necessarily suggesting that the hosts will give birth, although that could still happen. No, uh, and I wasn't saying that it was. It's just no, funny. I know, I know. Yeah, it's just funny that um, it's a different way of looking at that relationship. Yeah. Well, it's like she was a, she has an adopted child. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> um, and then there was this falling Buffalo and there was, uh, instead of the Iris from last season, I think that was melded with the landscape. Now it's, I think it's supposed to be the brain, this new brain. I'm not sure about that. Um, we see hair being created and then we see the black hat over sun or something like that. I don't know. It was just a little bit of a change of effect. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. I love the Buffalo too. Um, and this show does go in for symbolism and I thought there was some interesting symbolism there. So Buffalo sort of the, the symbol of the great American plains, um, and you know, Indian culture that thrived long mm -hmm. before Europeans came and then frontier culture and also a symbol of what, man hunted to extinction yes <laughs> um and um and then we we see one of the android buffaloes later jumps at the glass and startles lee and i felt like it was almost like in case you missed this in the title sequence here yeah <laughs> and it's also maybe a little ironic that the buffalo is one of the only things still alive in there <clears throat> yeah that's true too quote unquote alive i wonder if the animals are part of this uprising um well yeah, I, I, the there's this guy that's designed this whole intro sequence. His name is Patrick Clare. And about the buffalo, he said, this was how buffalo or bison could be hunted back in time where they could kind of be cajoled into diving off cliffs. And you have this tragic moment of them falling to their deaths. It's tragic for the beast, but obviously they're generating food and feeding the circle of life. And I think for us, that became an interesting theme because so much of the Westworld titles are about the circle of life. That's a little opaque to me, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Any other notes? Yeah. So um, we've touched on them a couple, a couple of them already. Actually, one was the title sequence. Um, let's see. Um, we talked about the young host Ford showing up to taunt the man in black. I enjoyed that. What about the man in black himself? Anything? We didn't talk about him very much. Well, first of all, Ed Harris is back. That's a plus. Nice. Um, I, you know, I'd love it if Anthony Hopkins came back because it's just such an incredible I'm still holding character. Yeah, me too, that at least will show up in a couple episodes. But Ed Harris is great too. And uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, there was a whole arc with him that where he just kept going around in circles in the first season and nothing really happened for him till the end when it became real. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens now that it's real. Yeah. Cause this feels like he's arrived uh, because he's getting what he wants. The park is dangerous and there's real stakes. And also it was interesting to see him without his hat. He's bald. I don't know if we ever saw his bald head last season. No, we did not. And he looked sort of neutered or something. Yeah. And then he goes and he gets himself together and, wraps his wound and I think he had a drink and he finds his hat, puts it on. And then he's, it's like, hey, I'm back baby. Yeah. And then when he's talking back to in black, yeah. <laughs> robot. Oh, we got our song for the interlude. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then uh, he's talking to robot Ford boy and he, it confused me a little. Cause he says, you made it to the center of Arnold's maze. And so I'm like, well, did he, I thought that was for the hosts. I, 
So whatever. But then he goes, now you're in my game in this game. You have to make it back out in this game. You must find the door. And he said, this game is meant for you. So that's something I'm sure that William would loved to hear because the game wasn't met, meant for him before. Yeah. And he might've meant it's meant for you murderous humans and, <laughs> and you personally. <laughs> And the the door, by the way, is what we've read is the name of this season. The first season right. was called The Maze. Now it's The Door. So if the first season is about exploring consciousness, The Door sounds like, how do I get the hell out of here, maybe? Or going somewhere else or something. I don't know. Right. And um, I only have uh, one other real note. We've talked about all the other ones I had. And okay. <laughs> it was the horse. So, you know, he knows the horse and... He says, you know, whoa, no, I can't remember the name of the horse, but Nelly. Yeah. I kind of thought, isn't that a cyborg horse? And if everything's infected, is the horse going to rebel against you? I, I was wondering that too. Cause I think the horse jerked his head yeah. like, too fast. Yeah. <laughs> so just an interesting point. Like what else yeah. in this world might be dangerous? Yeah. And, and if, if horses, if uh, horses, robot horses, potentially could have just as sophisticated of brains as any of the other hosts. It might be the same brain. Yeah. Well, I had a couple more. So Ashley Stubbs just shows up on the beach and I'm like, the security dude, mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. Last time we saw him, he was being attacked by the, this ghost nation. So yes. that, that was very unexplained. <laughs> yeah. I hope we get an explanation of that. Uh, I liked that Maeve knew that Lee Sizemore would be jealous of her security clearance. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> and I liked that he kept promising her how much he was going to help her. And as soon as other people show up, he's like nodding at her. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of them might be dressed like they're human. Yeah. <laughs> Little weasel. And she always gets the best lines. I killed yeah. myself for this security clearance multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? I thought, I think it's pretty clear now that Dolores and Teddy love each other, that it kind of reminded me of Penny and Desmond on in loss that throughout all this, he's her constant. That's Star, what it seems like. Star crossed lovers. <laughs> yeah. And then what's the last one? Oh, that I, this is the one I already mentioned, but here's my note on it that Lowe said, or Strand, Carl Strand said to Bernard, Lo, good to see you, though the circumstances are less than ideal. And Bernard said less than ideal at the same time. So I guess you could say that that's just a typical way to end that phrase, but it seemed like it might mean a little more to me. I don't know. Yeah, and good to see you means they know each other. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that might be interesting to find out what the history is there. What the relationship yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready for episode two. Like right now. <laughs> well, we don't have it, but in the meantime, let's take a little break. There's more to come though, so stay with us. Okay, here's some news. So a couple of weeks ago, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan did a Reddit ask me anything they asked someone asked what do you think consciousness is and 
I think it was Jonathan answered a strange loop. And so I looked up what a strange loop is, and I'm going to read a, a big part of the Wikipedia entry just because I think it's interesting. They say a strange loop is a cyclic structure that goes through several levels in a hierarchical system. It arises when by moving only upwards or downwards through the system, one finds oneself back where one started. Strange loops take form in human consciousness as the complexity of active symbols in the brain inevitably leads to the same kind of self-reference, which Gödel proved was inherent in any complex logical or arithmetical system in his incompleteness theorem. Gödel showed that mathematics and logic contain strange loops, propositions that not only refer to the mathematical and logical truths, but also to the symbol systems expressing those truths. This leads to the sort of paradoxes seen in statements such as this statement is false, wherein the sentence's basis of truth is found in referring to itself and its assertion causing a logical paradox. Hofstadter argues that the psychological self arises out of a similar kind of paradox. We are not born with an I, the ego, emerges only gradually as experience shapes our dense web of active symbols into a tapestry rich and complex enough to begin twisting back upon itself. According to this view, the psychological I is a narrative fiction, something created only from intake of symbolic data and its own ability to create stories about itself from that data. The consequence is that a perspective, a mind, is a culmination of a unique pattern of symbolic activity in our nervous systems, which suggests that the pattern of symbolic activity that makes identity, that constitutes subjectivity, can be replicated within the brains of others and perhaps even in artificial brains. I'm sorry, I, I, I missed a little bit of that. Can you say it all again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't totally get it, obviously. But it just reminds me of the whole thing of how uh, Arnold was striving and Ford to, to create consciousness, which is to have create the basis for it by having a complex brain, but the, the host still had to go through all of these experiences and build them up so that they could then reference each other. And at some point, there was like a tipping point where, da-da, consciousness. <laughs> it seems like interesting theory that uh the i or the ego is not born with you yeah i'm not so sure i buy that actually i mean you're a you parent like what do you that. think of that yeah i think um i think it definitely there it changes that as you age you get a sense that you're separate from the world but i do also think that there's something indelibly you from day one that's there I think so too. So yeah, so this theory has been disproven as far as I'm concerned. Maybe that's all part of our illusion. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I definitely, I've got two kids, a six-year-old and a one-year-old, and, and there's qualities that seem to have stretched back to pretty much day one in each of them that are unique to them. But let me read a couple more that they're not as long and dense, but answers from the um, uh, Ask Me Anything. They say, they ask, did you have a planned arc for the show? By which I mean, do you have a point that you have predetermined that the show will conclude or come to an end? He says, Lisa and I planned out the big tentpole moments while we were writing the plot. Dolores kills Ford. Maeve escapes. Bernard's consciousness is uploaded into a sentient agave plant in the distillery, etc. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the headlines for several seasons planned out before we shot a thing. We wanted to be really ambitious to significantly raise the stakes and the scope every season. 
But the beauty of TV is you get to collaborate to get the benefit of the writers, directors, actors that you're working with. There are some amazing ideas that have come up that we didn't start with. You would be foolish not to be open to those opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So they planned out the basic tent poles, but they're open to it going in new and different directions. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. It makes a lot of sense, too. If you have all these great people around you, you're going to create something together that's more than whatever you thought of initially. Yeah. And, and yeah, you can follow what is really juicy in the moment. Cause sometimes, I mean, I noticed that podcasting, I have tons of notes, but sometimes I talk about stuff I didn't even conceive of, or it's all in a different order or whatever, but also it's good to have an outline. Uh, it is, um, they, it's really a new art form, uh, in terms of, well, it's probably too grandiose to say it's a new art form. There's been serialized storytelling probably throughout human history. But for our modern art forms like movies or TV, I think this is a new new art form. You know, where writers that think of six seasons ahead of time or whatever mm-hmm. and a whole plot arc and then sort of fill in the details. It just was not, not done that way uh, in mm-hmm. early TV or movies. Yeah, it's great. It may be like serial novels in the past or something. Yeah. I mean, like this, the uh, creators of Star Wars probably claim it was all thought out from the beginning, but I think that's bullshit. I don't buy it at all. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that, we made a lot of money on that movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, they ask, when creating the part of Robert Ford, did you have Anthony Hopkins in mind? Yes, very much. I always find it distracting to write with a particular actor in mind, unless you're working with an ongoing series, especially when you're first trying to think through who that actor is, what their voice is, etc. But sometimes you get someone in your head when you're writing and you can't get them out. Ford was always Sir Anthony for us, and we're incredibly fortunate that he felt the same way. That's cool. And that is, I think, some explanation for why that character turned out so great. Yeah. Yeah, it does work out pretty well, yeah, when they write to a certain person. And then last they say, if you were to give me one sentence I could tell my friends to convince them to watch the show, what would it be? And Lisa Joy replied, it's good training to survive the eventual AI apocalypse. (laughs) That is not comforting. (laughs) I know, I know. Well, I'm going to skip, yeah, to... um, Okay, yeah, this is the same theme. This is an interview with Lisa in Esquire. They ask, what would you tell AI designers given all your research into the subject? She says, being careful of hubris is as important as knowing the technology that you're developing. See in yourself and other people the capacity both for evil and for good. Know that the machines you build, your creations, will bear your fingerprints to some degree, and not necessarily the fingerprints you intentionally left, but the ones that kind of grazed it unintentionally. It's important to have people who will question you occasionally. There's also what will happen with emotional intimacy when you're forging a connection with creatures that are artificial. They've done these tests where you can talk to a bot, and it's almost as good as talking to a psychologist. People just need someone to listen to them sometimes, and that's easy code, really easy. So many of our drives are just primary colors, which is something that's both beautiful and tragic about us. So many of us feel alone, but that feeling of loneliness is one of the fundamental building blocks of our collective psyches. It's just going to open up so many questions. One day they won't have to even go out to dinner because they can just hook up into a VR machine and imagine the taste. We're getting further and further from a tactile universe. Maybe I'm a Luddite in that way, but I prefer a board game in front of the fire. And that's actually why Westworld was created within our story. 
we allude to it, but it's that people without money have to settle for VR and AR. But once you get to the point where you can afford a trip to Westworld, you want that because you can feel the difference. You're walking around, smelling the air and touching the things. Technology takes us further and further away from, yet also takes us closer and closer to the things we want in our lives. That kind of rambled a little bit, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. A um, couple things about that. One, while I think it would be very difficult to create actual consciousness and maybe impossible to define whether you had actually created it or just a really good imitation of it. Mm-hmm. I think it actually would be relatively easy to f- fool humans with a good imitation. I know it's already happening in like these text bots. I think sometimes yeah. people don't know the difference. No, people are arguing with bots on Twitter all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's happening um, already. Well, and, go ahead. If you can't tell the difference, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, there was another point I had there, but it escapes me. So I might have sustained some sort of cerebral cortex damage. <laughs> okay. I'm sure we can, we'll just get you in the shop and you'll be yeah. just fine. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to listener feedback. Katie Jessup Ledwig says amazing. From Sarah Oaks. I really feel like I need to watch it again. This show is so complicated, not only with the story, but, but the nonlinear timeline at least now we know it's nonlinear. Um, I'm really curious about what's happening at Bernard, some sort of critical error, and why did it help him to inject that stuff in his head? I have more questions than answers, but I love this episode. So um, we gave you a little answer there, I think, uh, at least on our theory of why he injected this stuff. I mean, I, I yeah, I forgot to mention, too, that I my theory, yes, is that he shot himself in the head, Felix tried to repair him, but he's, it wasn't a complete repair, didn't fully fix the problem. And then we see him fighting to try to save the stable boy. And he gets knocked down. And then you see some of that fluid leaking out of his ear. So I think his brain is just cracked and uh, he needed to replace some of the fluid. Yeah, but, I think that's just a pretty good theory. Yep. Yeah. Mandy Castillo says, I'm definitely going to need to watch it again without a glass of wine. But as usual, my mind was blown. Yeah, Westworld and a glass of wine sounds pretty good to me. Um, Sarah Larkham says it was amazing as usual that Bernard and Charlotte scenes were uh, chilling. I thought at one point Bernard was going to attack Charlotte like he attacked Elise. Dolores was ultra cold and scary. Yeah, some scary characters in the show. Yep. Robin Cooper Simon says, I liked how when young Robert was talking to William, you could hear three voices, the child's voice, a robotic voice and adult Robert's voice. It was great, but so much to digest as always. Yep. Mm-hmm. Stuart Kearns have the robot animals also become sentient. And if so, are there self aware wolves? Great question. So we touched on that with the horse, but there was that, um, that scene where the man in black kind of right he comes emerges from the massacre and there's a wolf watching him sniffing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so great question. Was that, a, um, what the deal was there? I want to see some talking animals at some point. <laughs> I thought of that when you were talking about the, the, uh, the horse, it's like, we could have a Mr. Ed situation here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And last, Craig Gibson says, I believe Dolores and Bernard will be working together to, quote, hide the hosts. Those found on the shore and in the water will have had the core from their heads transplanted into new versions of themselves with no trackers. Ah. Fascinating. Good theory. Gambit. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. that's our show episode six thank you for listening everybody if you want to get in touch with us as i mentioned at the top of the podcast we really like listener feedback and there's many ways you can do that you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com you can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we will play it on the air most likely unless it's really offensive we might anyway. Yep. Uh, it's never stopped us before. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we'll play it. Uh, you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash Westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next episode. Well, you know, I might as well plug another show. If you like Westworld, I'd say there's a damn good chance you're going to like Legion because it's a brain twister. And it's a little more light, a little more fun but it's all you never know what's real and what's not it's more it's it's not androids but it's about the psyche so there's a lot of delusions going on and trying to figure out who you know what reality is so i i highly recommend that mm, i'm intrigued yeah I, I i have not watched it. i would like to know yeah what you think if you get around to watching that you can tell by the first episode, I think, whether you're going to like it. All right. Next episode of this podcast, we're going to be covering Westworld Season 2, Episode 2, Reunion, which is directed by Vincenzo Natalia, uh, Natali, who's a favorite of mine. And it's written by Jonathan Nolan and Carly Ray, who has also written for Mad Men and The Leftovers. So I'm expecting great things next week. Yeah. Other than that, there's nobody good involved in it whatsoever. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> all right. That is our show. Thanks for listening. You frighten me sometimes, David. <laughs> <laughs> I hope people get that that's a line. <laughs> <laughs> the show.